Um, you've made it all the way to episode six. Thank you so much for coming back. Let's dive in. Oh, I'm supposed to say my name because everybody's confused with all of our No, you don't tones. have to. I feel like I maybe Millie. dominated you at that and now you're paranoid. <laughs> well, maybe I'm a little paranoid. Hi, I'm Millie Harmon. I'm one of the co-hosts. Welcome. Sit down. <laughs> this is Caitlin. I'll I'll start. Well, we had to we have to talk about um, you know, Jeff Bezos going to space and other <laughs> Other billionaire dick fucks going to space and leaving us all behind to rot and taking the first on step literal in their penises. Vision. They're like riding on penises. <laughs> I, I just saw space. today that it was a rock, a penis rocket. I hadn't realized that because I was kind of ignoring it in real time. Yeah, just god damn it. This episode we're gonna call it Kill Whitey, and uh, because we're we're talking with our good friend George Friday, who. I won't spoil like why and what, but we did, I think everybody on social media saw um, Gil Scott Heron's uh, poem about Whitey on the moon coming into focus as incredibly on point. And basically, if you will put it in the show notes, but if you haven't heard it, you should listen to it and look at the words. But basically, it's like. A rat bit my sister, and I can't afford the hospital bill, and Whitey's on the moon. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly our world right now. A rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell, and Whitey's on the moon. I can't pay no doctor bills, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. You know, the man just up my rent last night, cause Whitey's on the moon. No hot water, no toilets, no lights, but Whitey's on the moon. Yep. I actually think I've been talking about this with my partner, and he doesn't think that the dream of these guys is to actually go to space. He thinks the dream is for them to set up uh, colonial outposts for us to be shipped off to space. Those of us with too much debt, those of us who are imagining some brighter future, and it basically would be like, you know, some sort of Jamestown situation. And it's interesting that the minute the motherfucker landed, that's basically what he said, is we need to figure out a way to move all of our extraction industries into Mm -hmm. space. And uh, that seems to be on his mind. Yeah. I just want to talk, too, for a second about um, how much a billion dollars is, because I have to regularly remind myself of this. Okay, so keep in mind, dude has much more than a billion dollars. How many billion? $99 billion. That's maybe his net worth. He's about to be a trillionaire, which is inconceivable to our brains. So just to give, like, a context, I I have to, like, look these things up and think about them. Because we can't do it when we just rattle off a billion. So one million seconds is 11 days. Okay. One billion seconds is 31.5 years. I learned that on Nickelodeon's pinwheel when I was like six. I know, but it's like, you gotta let it walk <laughs> no, over it's, you. It's over scale. Over. No, the scale <laughs> is like incomprehensible. It's very, yeah. That is an amount of wealth that 
straight up only exists because of the colonial extraction for the last 400 years of this mm-hmm. earth. And it's all been piled up into like a, literally a handful of people. Like we yeah. could crush that if we could put people in our hand, we could just smush them with one little <laughs> because that's how few there are of them. Uh, but the amount of money is 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 like you know, is global resources and hundreds of years of exploitation piled up into a couple guys' pockets. And recognizing that, I find it particularly disturbing the tweet that Jeff Bezos put out that was like, thank you, one and all, for getting me here, you know? And it's just like, yes, you paid I paid for it you with your over. debt. Yeah. Can I also point out something that I think flew under the radar a little bit, but on the same day, yesterday, uh, news also broke of a woman who worked in an Amazon warehouse, and she was pregnant, and she asked for, you know, um, I mean, I think I think she asked for time off, but uh, instead had to fight tooth and nail just to get light duty, which she did eventually get. Um, and she miscarried and, uh, and these, you know, like when, so he's out there thanking the workers, you know, there's a, and and there's, you know, there's gotta be so many more, so many more people, um, who have had the same experience as this woman and didn't know, you know, how to advocate for themselves. Um, but that was like a really, uh, dark parallel to see yesterday. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it literally is on people's like sweat and blood and uh, just to chipperly say thanks. And also, you know, we got to mention about how these motherfuckers aren't paying any taxes, which is why, uh, you know, we have no public resources because they are vacuuming up the money, concentrating it and then giving absolutely none of it back, whether they're, you know, hiding it offshore or um just misrepresenting how much money they have i mean all of it you know that came out like i don't know at this point it's been a few months um uh, about how that none of these rich people are paying taxes comparable to us at all so and their philanthropy is a drop in the bucket and you know you look at bill gates and um i mean i think a lot of people uh on the leftward side of things know this but it needs to be pointed out every fucking day that he said he was going to give away all of his wealth and he is now wealthier than he was the day he said that while giving away enough money that if you looked at it on its face you'd be like oh that's a lot but it's nothing it's a drop in the fucking bucket um compared to what he's extracting well, and you guys, I just keep seeing these advertisements are like on the radio and like, you know, like Pandora or whatever, like all the time of Amazon, you know, advertising it's $15, a, you know, an hour wage. And like we have so misconstrued that as a living wage because like our demands are so behind the curve. You know what I mean? And so like they're flouting this and then they're giving the double layer of saying like they show these shots of like small businesses and they're like, we're thriving because there's an Amazon plant who brought all of its employees who shop here, you know? And then they say like $15 an hour. Here's what a little extra spending money can like do for you. But like, that's not spending money. Anybody making $15 an hour is getting government assistance for healthcare and food. Yep. 
Yeah, can and barely confirm. able to pay their rent. So, like, yeah. another layer of subsidy he, they get, right? For not, like, actually giving their employees, you know, benefits. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I saw a tweet. Someone kind of put it all. So, things Jeff Bezos could do right now and still be $15 billion, <laughs> which, again, like, unfathomable amount, $1 billion, but $15 billion richer than he was pre-pandemic and homelessness in America for $20 billion end hunger in America for $25 billion, vaccinate the world from COVID-19, $25 billion. So, I mean, at least everybody's talking about it in these terms, um, you know, and I think that it just blows my mind that it's like when they tell us, you know, okay, 500 people have, you know, whatever it is, 99.9% of the world's wealth. And it's like, you know, those people all have names and addresses, as Utah Felix pointed out. They are like literally going about their days right now. And somehow or other, for some crazy reason, we are allowing them to be comfortable in their existence when we know who they are and we know what they're doing. And we just let that slide. Ah, that cre- mm-hmm. creates much agitation in me. So I heard an interview with him, too. And it was like, well, why do you want to go? And it was he was like, well, I want to look down at the world. Uh, and I was like, isn't that just like the epitome? Like you already do on every other level. I mean, the idea is that supposedly it's profound to see Earth and, and kind of, you know, wrap your brain around it, it would be pretty fucking profound but I don't, to, like, I, help the humanity on Earth. I don't think that man is capable of having profound humanitarian thoughts, so it's wasted on him entirely. But I do believe that they believe they do, which is why they're really dangerous, oh, yeah. you know? It's like, I, I oh, think yeah. that they um, they think that they're the, the ones to handle all of this and believe that what they're doing is good. I also want to point out this Dan Rather tweet that I thought was kind of funny, because, like... I was like, oh, this is pretty spicy, Dan, rather, but it still, like, misses <laughs> the point to some extent. He said, the space race of the 1960s was fueled by American taxpayers. This space race is fueled by non-taxpayers. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's not true. And it's kind of impressive for Dan Rather to come out like that. I, I respect it. But, like, it still is. Are we not subsidizing right. them it's fucking totally. taking everything over? Um, so, totally. It's, uh, yeah, the it's wages like that they made that on are, are what is, yeah, yeah right. subsidizing that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and all of it is just about, you know, proving your giant manhood Back in then, back then to USSR and now to each other and the rest yeah. of us, which is yeah. entirely a waste of resources every way you cut it. Mm-hmm. All right. What do you guys got? What is agitating you? Well, you want to introduce it? I think there's actually a segue here. And let's see if I can uh, pull it off. But uh, there was... Uh, a tweet that was made by this, I guess, I don't know if you guys know AJ Delgado. She was a former Trump uh, advisor who left. uh, And there's a whole story around that that is really funny, but we don't have time for it today. But she's now a uh, a blazing Biden liberal. And uh, she got roasted by left Twitter because she posted about on the night before the launch, she posted 
Jeff Bezos uh, bringing some traditional Cuban food to the crew. And I guess she's Cuban. So she was like, another reason to love Jeff Bezos. Uh, because I don't understand at all. <laughs> he's centering Cuban culture. And it, it turns there. out, it turns so out agitating. that he, uh, <gasps> his stepfather was Cuban. Um, and so he actually uh, did have like Cuban family and I think went to high school in Miami. And, uh, and she, so she like kept doubling down the more she got roasted. And she was saying that Jeff Bezos is like, uh, a icon for Cuban Americans. <laughs> is that the same family that gave him three hundred thousand dollars to start Amazon in the first place? Yeah, <laughs> Which is probably, <laughs> probably. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, we want to talk about Cuba, and this is you know a, a delicate one, so we're going to do our best. And if we get things wrong, please feel free to let us know. Uh, I think we want to focus most on the U.S. and our policy, and for just kind of laying things out that people might not know and adding some nuance. So uh, Millie is going to start us off, and then I will be joining in as well. So I have to start off by admitting that I was 16 before I ever heard a counter-narrative to what we learn in the U.S. that, you know, Castro represents an oppressive communist regime. Um, I was in high school, I was in boarding school, and I had a German roommate who in conversation was like, yeah, not everybody thinks Castro's bad. And we're just like, Psh, whoa. Um, and so I want to go back in history a little ways because I really want to impress on you, um, you know, how long um, Cuba has been under the imperial thumb, so to speak, um, first by Spain and then by the U.S. So let's go back a ways um, to the aftermath of the Spanish-American War when the U.S. establishes a military government. And this is referred to the as the first occupation, but really Cuba was a target going back way before the Civil War as southern slave-owning states actually wanted to take it to turn it into a slave state. And then we go post-legal slavery, and the argument actually remains similar. So when Cubans rise up from Spain, the U.S. comes in and supposedly is aiding Cuba when really we are just seizing the moment to step in and take power. So 1902, uh, the Platt Amendment passes, which lays out how much control the U.S. has over Cuba, which is basically them asserting control entirely over economic and foreign affairs. It also included a clause allowing the U.S., allowing U.S. military intervention, which, come on, this is a very clear and visible sign that the U.S. had just, like, replaced Spain as this colonial master. So immediately, of course, right, we, the clause allows military intervention. In the next decade, we intervene three times, all under the guise of solving political crises. But really, as usual, we were protecting our interests, particularly sugar imports, which in 1902, 40% of sugar production in Cuba was owned by Americans. And then, as you can imagine, that rapidly increased. 
So by 1933, there's another uprising in Cuba against the Cuban government, but Roosevelt decides this time not to intervene and actually declares neutrality. Uh, we remain in relative good terms with Cuba until 1952, you know, still acknowledging that they are living under our thumb socially and economically, right? So fast forward, the Cold War. 19, in 1952, U.S.-backed Batista rose back into power through a coup. He had previously failed to get reelected. Um, he gets into power. He immediately suspends the Cuban Constitution and imposes an incredibly oppressive rule. And again, this is backed by the U.S. And during his rule, 70% of land was owned largely by Americans and foreign investors. And the sugar industry was basically entirely foreign owned at that point as well. So that was 1952. The next year, Fidel Castro leads an uprising. We all know it well as this communist uprising. And let's look back at the 1950s, right? American politics at this point is obsessed with fears of communism. So the U.S. backs Batista no matter how brutal his regime becomes. And I find this very interesting, um, is that actually Fidel Castro is not a self-proclaimed communist. Che Guevara is even quoted as saying, and this is cute, Fidel is not a communist. He could be politically defined mm. as a revolutionary nationalist. He is anti-American in the sense that America is anti-revolutionary. <laughs> so I would also add to that that the U.S. intelligence reports also note Fidel Castro and other members of the Cuban government at that point actually condemned communist yeah. influence. So here, we think that we're fighting communism, spreading democracy around the world. And Cubans feel like Batista is just an extension of U.S. imperialism. Because it is. So anyway, 1959, Castro takes power and the U.S. sets up this embargo to strangle Cuba's economy. Um, and I want to read a piece of correspondence that took place in 1960 from the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Inter-American Affairs. Oh, what a title. Anyway, after in this document, he's stated in several ways that there is undeniable and widespread Cuban support for Castro. He states, the only foreseeable means of alienating internal support is through disenchantment and disaffection based on economic dissatisfaction and hardship. He goes on to recommend a policy that, this is a direct quote now, makes the greatest inroads in denying money and supplies to Cuba, to decrease monetary and real wages, to bring about hunger, desperation, and overthrow of government. Now here I want to note that the relationship between Cuba and the Soviet Union was not straightforward. 
in that Cuba was considered on the socialist spectrum and actually not aligned because they they weren't taking direction from Moscow or Beijing as as other communist countries would in the future. So I guess just to underline now, the U.S. has like created a very clear narrative about our agenda as fighting against communism in Cuba, you know, when really the pursuit of U.S. interests is heavily responsible for the economic and political instability for so long and in so many ways, but particularly through this embargo um, that we're going to talk about more. So, Shelley, will you um, take it and tell us more about what has been going on recently, uh, maybe beginning with the Obama administration? I know we all thought relations with Cuba were going to get better then, right? Yeah. So uh, everyone probably remembers in 2014 when Obama took, uh, I think it was the first presidential trip to Cuba in 90 years and the first like state, uh, you know, state business trip uh, in history. Um, He was, you know, acknowledging that the embargo was a failure, um, wanted to restore diplomatic relations. Um, He lifted travel restrictions. And that brought a lot of hope um, that, you know, we were going towards uh, a lifting of the blockade. But what also happened that I want to name uh, that kind of goes back to when we're talking about, you know, the sugar industry and all of that. What happened when 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 Obama started making these moves was you saw U.S. companies clamoring to get to Cuba. So cell phone companies, airlines, hotels, cruise ships, uh, Major League Baseball trying to capitalize off the baseball culture. Um, and, you know, basically, like, export their fucked up concept of democracy. Uh, This wouldn't have been beneficial to ordinary Cubans. This would have been beneficial to the U.S. capitalist class. The trade-off for lifting the embargo in that context would have been advancing foreign capitalist interest and ultimately, like, pushing towards making them a consumerist country, which, you know that's uh, not necessarily a great thing, you know, um, and not well, the solution. Well, that's the best way to undermine liberation struggles. <laughs> exactly. So. Yes. That's, that's, that's how we do it, right? Um, so that, but, you know, um, there was still some hope there because ultimate, but, you know, we never got to the point of the embargo being lifted and actually like medicine, food, et cetera, um, you know, the, the really important parts, the survival stuff. And, uh, but then Trump became president and he rolled back all of the, you know, lifted sanctions that Obama had, had done. Um, uh, the, his Trump's blockade stopped medical aid, money transfers from overseas companies and humanitarian organizations. It denied Cubans. So this is like uh, kind of, you know, COVID context denied Cubans the ability to use zoom Um, precluded the country's purchase of ventilators, causing um, a shortage of those and generally uh, PPE, um, even blocking a donation of pandemic aid from China's richest man. Um, Oxfam reported that the blockade had a drastic effect on Cuba's vaccine industry, so it made it very difficult for them to obtain the necessary raw materials. And in spite of that, 
they still were able to develop their own vaccine. Yeah, they came up with their no, that's own an, vaccine. That's incredible. Um, their oh, ability to make, uh, you know, capacity out of like nothing is un, you know, it's unparalleled. It's extremely and, impressive, and for a uh, hundred years, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but then they faced a shortage of syringes um, because of the blockade. So they couldn't get the syringes and they just didn't really have the overall infrastructure, even though they developed the vaccine, the manufacturing and distribution was a challenge um, because of infrastructure. So, you know, um, uh, anyway, well, let's move on to Biden. Biden's running for president. Um, so this is the 2020 presidential race. And he vows explicitly to reverse the failed Trump policies that inflicted harm on Cubans and their families. And now six months into office, he hasn't lifted a finger. He's doing the exact same approach that Trump did um, that he, you know, not that long ago decried as as inflicting harm. So he is now knowingly inflicting harm. Um, He had even promised to reverse the Trump policy that disallowed Cuban-Americans from sending money to their families, claiming that the government would steal it. Um, This was based on a a claim that Trump made. And uh, there's absolutely no evidence for this whatsoever. Um, Advocates like the Washington Office on Latin America have been really outspoken and saying this is this is false. You are parroting Trump talking points and they're not true. Um, Then you have the UN last month, uh, once again, overwhelmingly voting to end the blockade. Uh, The only countries that that did not vote to end the blockade were the US and Israel. So then not long after that, then we start seeing, you know, um, folks getting out in the street in Cuba and protesting, you know, the authoritarian regime. Um, you know, the, the main, the, you know, the main thing I'm gathering that has been cited is, you know, a failure in, in COVID, addressing COVID. Um, that seems to be kind of the main thing, which, you know, it's, you know, I don't think anyone is going to say that that the, the people who are protesting uh, are not sincere in their protest and that they shouldn't have the right to do so without, you know, police repression. Um, but I also think it's important for people to know that those protests didn't last very long. Um, they're over. You wouldn't know that from the news. Um and this and, is like a week later by the time this comes out, just to, to context for people. In terms yeah. Of yeah. So, so it's, it's even like been after. Yeah. This. Yeah. We're 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 way weeks, weeks past this. Um, but I, I would bet a million dollars that the media is still talking about it as if it's still this, you know, groundswell of. Up, yeah. Of is about to have a, you know, a, a democratic revolution. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, it's really like relatively a small amount of people who should still have the right to protest um, without, you know, violence being levied against them. But, you know, there are... We should have that right in this country, too. <laughs> exactly. That's, you know, it's kind of what I'm getting at here is it is so, so... Uh, it's, it's just beyond comprehension that people can say that, like, we need to go intervene in this country because of footage that we're seeing 
that looks exactly like shit that happens here. Like what happened in L.A. last week, too. Yeah, that, that was a really exactly. good... Yeah, in L.A., like, you, this was the, the for folks who didn't see it, there was a, a protest in L.A. Um, against, you know, like, it was, you know, anti-trans uh, people who were protesting a massage parlor, and um, folks came out to protest them, and I saw a woman who was saying to the police, please put your guns down, and got shot point blank in the stomach with a, you know, uh like a bean bag Le- a less a less lethal weapon um you know something that could kill you uh and definitely you know probably caused her right and if that had happened in cuba uh as part of the protest you know everybody would it would be shown over and over and over again as some egregious example of how you know of how that country is a dictatorship and the people cannot protest and have freedom of speech etc 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 yeah you know yeah well and we're then very good in this country at, at selective <laughs> and then there's also like tons of footage of much 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 larger demonstrations in support of the revolution there's of course an argument saying that these people were compelled by the government to do it but if you watch the videos that's not what it looks like and there really isn't any evidence that that's true um you you know like i think you can tell when people are into what they're doing. Weren't there also <laughs> images that were used of yes. the pro-revolution, basically, like, not protests, because what are they, you know, but, uh, you know, demonstrations, maybe, and then being used to say that those were... Because they were bigger. Protesters. And they know yeah. they rely on people not understanding Spanish. Not and... knowing what flag means what. <laughs> right. And so, there, yeah, there was, um, like, mainstream media was actually using pro-revolution footage to... Uh, and and saying that it was, you know, the anti-authoritarian protesters. So you got a lot of this kind of... So rely on our ignorance. Another thing that (laughs) happened... So, so, you know, there's like... So I think that you can hold space for like, there were, were some sincere people protesting the government. And then there also, you cannot deny the history of CIA involvement in these kinds of things um and like people were noticing a lot of weird stuff that was happening uh you know and and that's the thing is like they you know it's not it's not one or the other it's like the cia will take that you know group and uh bolster them up and there was another thing that was happening on twitter hold on let me this you know, there's like, I don't know if people, if you're not familiar with Twitter, there there is a bot issue. And uh, one of the jokes is they call them first name bunch of numbers. So it's like, um, you know, you just see on different, especially when there was like Venezuela stuff, uh, 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 Colombia, all of that, you would you would see all of these like, I yearn for my country's freedom, you know, and they were like these first name bunch of numbers accounts that were uh, made started last month right (laughs) so somebody found somebody searched this tweet uh and found just like i don't know how many hundreds of examples of these new shell accounts that have are doing nothing else and it it was verbatim with all the same things capitalized etc we cubans don't want the end of the embargo if that means the regime and dictatorship stays we want them gone no more communism three cuban flags this tweet 
was just found to be everywhere from all these different accounts, at, totally verbatim. And you, so you can't, like, you just can't look at stuff like that and say that this is um, some, you know, pure uh, uh, thing. And that widespread. Right. And these media restrictions unclear. also have so much to do with the ongoing embargo. And the inability of folks to actually get true information. I mean, how is this is sliding because we, we're, we, you know, it's hard to get right what's going on in the on the ground. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and so then some other things that are happening since then that have been concerning. Um, I will point out good things, which are that both the official Black Lives Matter organization, which this surprised me because they have gotten kind of sketchy on the national level. Um, but they made a pretty uh, blatantly, you know, it, there was no, uh, it was very straightforward that the embargo must end and without any other like uh, fluffiness around it. And DSA also took a very clear position that the embargo needs to be lifted um, without, you know, making comment on the Cuban government, but the U.S.'s role in their suffering. And, but we see... Um, you know, some really concerning stuff coming from politicians that make it feel like U.S. intervention, which can only be bad. That's period. It can ne- it's never going to be good. Right there. N- no matter how it's framed leading up to it. No. Uh, like we just look back at all the ways, the all the other interventions. Yeah. A hundred percent of them. So Val Demings, a Democrat who's running against Marco Rubio, um, she made a tweet calling for swift action in Cuba. Um, and the mayor of Miami called on Biden to do airstrikes. So then we've got these protests. Like how in the fuck would that help any regular people in any way, shape or form? That's not what they care about, you know? Right. Exactly. But, you know, the I... Part of why we wanted to talk about this on this episode is just so that everyone is really clear. Like, as an American, our position needs to be that the embargo needs to be ended right away and, like, full stop. That's it. That, that's the way that we can help Cubans. And that's not what these protests in Miami are about. And and let's be real that these protests in Miami are completely sanctioned by Governor DeSantis, who is behind these anti-protest laws that were recently put into yeah, place. Yeah, who's a fucking fascist. Right. So, like, they, so these, right? <laughs> these protests, no which blocked highways, were completely protected um, by police and um, completely supported by the you know so so they were they were technically breaking the law uh but they were protected and then another thing that you saw this one young woman i kind of felt bad for her uh but at the same time it it really needed to be um put out there so she she was at she was a young woman who was at the miami protests and took a photo of herself and posted it and she said not me being here for the right reasons and being surrounded by Trumpies. And what, what we saw was there were like literally Proud Boys and Trump supporters coming to the same protests as these liberals who are, you know, wanting, you know, freedom or whatever. Um, I feel like it's the, the epitome. It's fucking Israel. You know, I mean, yeah. it's like if you've yep. got Nazis showing up with your protests, like you're probably confused. Yeah. About... <laughs> 
<laughs> what's going on? Right. No, but it's, it's good just, because you know, so many policies align, right? And then, like, it's, you know, it is pretty rare that we get them all in the same room having to face the facts that, oh, actually, you guys are for the same things here. Yeah, and I think some people do think that, you know, they're like, oh, we're just here symbolically without understanding what their visible support is going to help push forward, which is um, some really horrible shit. Which is a CIA agenda of imperialism. Exactly. And there's no way to sort of like slice that in a friendly, nice way or in a way that is democratic or, or in a way that actually has solidarity. You just can't. Yeah. So, uh, so that's pretty much um, what I what I have. I just, you know, uh, there might be a, pe- a lot of people listening who already understand this stuff and agree with us. But if you have been feeling confused, you know, really, the only the as a U.S. resident, our job is to hold our own government accountable for their role in the suffering um, that's going on in Cuba. That's it. Period. All right. Well. Let's turn to our conversation with George now and get into the rest of the episode. Woo! George Friday is a dear friend and co-conspirator, a movement elder, organizer, facilitator, witch, and one of our absolute favorite human beings. We're excited to have the chance to share some of her wisdom on our show today. George works with grassroots community and national organizations, providing skills training ranging from strategic planning and organizing to fundraising and community building. Her work particularly focuses on communication, oppression, and the role of privilege in transforming power dynamics, fostering deep economic and social justice change. George grew up in rural North Carolina in the 1960s. She holds degrees in political science, economics, and African-American studies from the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. She has also served as the National Field Director for the Bill of Rights Defense Committee and worked with the Independent Progressive Politics Network and Poor People's Campaign. She's one of the founders of Move to Amend and has been in the movement for a long time, speaking truth to power, building power, and helping us realize our own power. Meet our dear friend, George Friday. All right, it's time for our lovely segment, Am I the Asshole? And this is the first time we've done this segment with with a guest. Um, We usually kind of keep those separated out, but we thought it would be really fun. We've all known George for a really long time. And And she's uh, good at knowing if people are assholes or not. She has a really good asshole radar. Yes, yes. (laughs) George, I don't think you're familiar with what Am I the Asshole is, and maybe some of our listeners aren't either. So uh, basically, um, there's a website called Reddit you might have heard of. Mm -hmm. And one of the subreddits is where people who are in a interpersonal situation where they're not sure whether they're the asshole or not, they take it to the people of Reddit and Am I the Asshole subreddit and ask, am I the asshole in this situation? So it's like self-awareness. Things that white people do. Things that white people do in number 78. Yes. Yep. 100%. So this one is uh, particularly ridiculous, um, but I thought it would be fun uh, to do. So it's titled, Am I the Asshole for Throwing My Roommate's McChicken Sandwiches Out Without Telling Him First? You ready? Okay. I know what you are... I know what you are thinking by the title, but this is an extreme situation that got out of hand. My roommate loves the McChicken McDonald's sandwiches 
but he also loved saving money. For years, McChicken was only $1 nationwide, and he would eat 10 to 15 of these sandwiches a day. Our whole damn apartment <laughs> smelled like a mix. Whoa. <laughs> smelled like I a don't want to know the before smell <laughs> or the, the after only smell. <laughs> I don't I don't know. We never know if that's the only food, but I can't imagine what you could do what outside else? of 10 yeah. to 15. There's variety on the dollar menu. You know, you can mix it when up. You find man. something you love. So our whole damn apartment smelled like McChicken. Well, a year ago, McDonald's started increasing the price on McChickens to $1.59 instead of a dollar, a 60% increase. My roommate freaked out at this and started buying McChickens by the truckload. Our fridge had as many as 100 McChickens in it at a time. (laughs) He wanted to buy as many McChickens for $1 as he could before our McDonald's increased the price. What do you mean in the refrigerator? When did you need to freeze that? Like how? Long? Hang with me. Hang with me, All right. Millie. All right. I'm Things trying. got out of hand last month when he bought a meat freezer and collected as many as 700 McChickens. <laughs> 700! <laughs> and had a toaster oven to heat them back up. I was pissed. Everything smelled like McChicken everywhere. On top of that, the electricity on the meat freezer probably cost us more than the damn price increases on the McChickens. I lost my mind. I unplugged the meat freezer when he left and let them rot. When he came back, they were moldy and ruined, and he had to toss them out. On top of that, our McDonald's increased the price of McChicken to $1.59 just this last week. I feel kind of bad, but I'm so sick of McChickens. (laughs) He also is mad at me for ruining his McChickens and his quote-unquote investment of $700. He claims... (laughs) (laughs) He claims I now owe him $1,060 because that's how much his investment increased in value. Am I the asshole for ruining his McChickens and throwing them out? Fuck yeah. I mean, yeah. Totally. And for so many reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This person was a McChicken and that's should have two months of food. Well, he's more than an asshole for just throwing out the McChickens. He's an asshole for being a shit roommate. Come on, y'all. I mean... Yeah. Okay, but what about the electricity? Yeah, bill well, yeah, all I of that have is, a point there. is still the asshole's fault. Why? Because, you know, somebody who's eaten 10 or 15 McChickens at a dollar each may indeed have an issue with money. Somebody who's spending $700 for McChickens has a mental health issue. And if you're their right. roommate, you intervene before this motherfucker's buying freezers and shit. Right. You can say, right. you know, I know, you know. <laughs> You don't have a lot of money for food, blah, blah, blah. Let's solve that. And maybe right, you don't get right, so crazy. Right. You're spending all this on electricity. The house yeah, smells like you... me chicken. Don't nobody want no house smell like me chicken. And insanely, yeah. passively, aggressively unplugging. And I would to go, I would say that's yeah. all on point. And also, if you're going to be the asshole to get rid of the chickens in a very dramatic fashion, right. yeah. give that shit yeah. away, man. Or There's at least throw it away so we don't go home. had a gruesome, horrible death for nothing. Yeah, you come back to all these moldy chickens. He could have come home to an empty freezer. Right. Yeah, it wouldn't have been as hard. So he's right. an asshole right. roommate, number one. You're an asshole roommate, and you're a bigger asshole for the way you went about this. There's tons of ways to yeah. have had that situation wind up way different without you being... Not just an asshole, but a flaming asshole. Yeah, I mean, if, if there had been any attempt at like a heart-to-heart conversation at any right? point during this process, I feel like that would have been mentioned, right? right? And it nope. wasn't. Yeah, 
Yeah, come on. At what point are you like letting this happen and not and not having a conversation about what's going on? Also, it doesn't solve your problem at all because now your house just smells like rotten McChicken, right. which has got to take a long time. Like, that's the opposite of what he. Evidence that white boys do not learn how to communicate with anybody. This guy was more concerned about his Reddit. (laughs) This culture teaches white boys nothing. Those Reddit white boys, they don't have a clue how you communicate with another human being. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the last one, though, was a, a, I don't know, at least middle-aged, if not older, lady who had a tiff over feeding birds. So it's not all... Stupid white boys? (laughs) 20-year-old white boys. Caitlin will arrive with the not all men. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just saying that that's not the only people who participate in Am I the Asshole. But did she let it go this far? You'd have to convince me that a woman wouldn't have intervened with something before it went to shit. I agree. Because we're not that stupid. That is bananas. Yeah, it's just not possible. I am concerned about this guy. I know, I am too. I feel like there's, that's a lot of, that's, that's more McChickens than... When there's not always exactly a lot of food around sometimes as a kid, then when you can afford food, you're like, I need to stash oh. this. You know, I can understand the instinct, but like that there's some, that's McChicken. And that might have been part of his childhood, but it doesn't that doesn't seem to me because there's a lot of people who are very, 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 very frugal. And that is why they have money. Right. So, like, I'm not going to assume that this guy is actually struggling financially. Not if he can spend seven hundred dollars at one time. Right. Exactly. Plus, that's just, buy a freezer. Yeah, a freezer. freezer costs right. Money too. Right. <laughs> right. I could do neither of those yeah. things in the same week. So that could be rooted in some stuff from childhood, but I don't think it's a present day concern with this guy. Right. Yeah. No, but there is something going on there that, as George really well said, if he had any compassion, (laughs) an intervention is what was required. Well, he didn't learn it. Ruining of the mixture. Y'all, he could be manifesting his great grandfather's concentration camp trauma because white boys in this country do not learn emotional health generationally. They, they learn emotional trauma and privilege generationally. That's all they get passed down. It is sad for them. That was me being empathetic, y'all. <laughs> and they screw up at it and then they get ripped up, which sucks. But how else are you going to be better than to screw up at it sometimes? Which is how we encourage people to do their anti-oppression work. Keep doing it till you get it right because you're going to fuck up a lot. I love how you brought it home, George. <laughs> They just got to learn how to fuck up and then get told they fucked up and then not <laughs> respond by punching a wall or breaking something or yeah. taking a machine it's gun a lot. to the mall. You know what I mean? That's the thing is like they, you they know. need a vision, Jessica. That's the shit that if you have a vision, yeah. you don't do because all they've got is instinct and rage and fear and bullshit among bullshit, just exponential bullshit. But if when you take a deep breath, you don't see yourself on a rampage i'm seeing archer now on a rampage with his guns both guns blazing but when you take a deep breath you see your own vision of how things are better then you can get through the next five minutes without killing motherfuckers for real not that i have killed anyone this lifetime but i know enough to know it takes work to not want to be homicidal I feel like that is an ideal transition into the topic of this yeah. year podcast episode, yes. which is... Say it with me, friends. Kill, Kill Whitey. <laughs> Very badly <Yes>. done. <laughs> it's not homicidal, though, because everybody who's clinching your assholes, relax. Gently. 
with compassion. No, but we wanted to actually touch on the I don't want to touch on asshole asshole. reaction. No. <laughs> well, no, but in the sense of go, I'm going all the way on the butt thing today. I'm Emily, so what's sorry. <laughs> Not where I meant to put that, but I mean as okay, <laughs> let's just reopen this back up and say that that phrase can initially bring a lot of reaction from white right? people from white yes. folks yeah right. i have never said it around people who are not white that didn't that were you know not okay with it you uh-huh. know occasionally mm-hmm. a nodded head sometimes a question about whether or not i have weapons but nothing <laughs> nothing close to sometimes woo! a question about date and time hey when <laughs> clutch my pearls only a clutch my pearls response from white people right. and mm-hmm. um when reminded that that's about white supremacy then you get the wrinkled forehead because oh my god i don't know if it is us as a culture that is so superficial or at you know or white pe- i'm not trying to put it all on white people but you know it is what it is you know we only want to see what's right in front of us we only want to see what we can immediately change ain't none of us by ourselves going to do shit about white supremacy but white supremacy is at the root of all of the shit Racism we see and react to as behavioral. We see it sometimes as systemic, you know, certainly the government controlling us and, you know, criminal justice being controlled by it and everything, housing, healthcare, education, name it, the system, all there, just eat up with white supremacy. But all we really see is this person called that person a nigger or, you know, the stuff that's at the surface or the stuff that's in our face, like killing black and brown people. But that racism, that behavior of racism would not exist without a system of white supremacy that supports it, encourages it, and forgives it, looks the other fucking way, and explicitly collaborates. That is what needs to be destroyed at all levels. And I, I much prefer channeling all of my homicidal thoughts, fantasies, rage, anger into that vision of white supremacy crumbling than get pissed at, you know, Jim Bob down the road who's got a rebel flag in his truck because that's all Jim Bob ever knew. And if me and Jim Bob had enough beers, Jim Bob would burn that motherfucking rebel flag or at least change what it means. I got no doubt. Mm -hmm. So that's my white supremacy rant. Oh, and Lord, my hair needs to get white before I can wear my T-shirt. Although now that they're killing everybody, I don't know. Well, but so that is a promise us- I made to myself. So yeah, you know. tell us about your tell us about the T-shirt. Well, okay, so some years back, I don't know how many now. I'd have to think kind of hard. But there's a group called the Raging Grannies. Y'all ever seen them? Yeah, they're mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, they're 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 all white, and they're old white ladies who sing these kick-ass anti-corporate songs, anti-militarism songs anti-racism songs they say you know they take a tune you know like oh mcdonald had a farm and being like you know this motherfucker makes some weapons he is a asshole you know things like that (laughs) um and they're rocking so i saw them and thought to myself well i want to be a raging granny but i got no you know babies but i thought i need white hair and i just in the last maybe six years got gray hair it's not white yet but my great grandma, who lived to be really old, I don't know if I want to live that long because, you know, you can't be poor and old. But she was like 103 when she got kicked. And she had white, white, gorgeous, white, beautiful, soft cotton candy hair. Oh, man, I would love to have that like, in terms of what is the word? Vanity. 
But I'll probably be bald headed by the time if I live that long. <laughs> totally bald. <laughs> but so I started thinking about what I wanted to do when my, my hair was white and being a ra- being a raging granny among them, but then kill Whitey because before many years even before the raging grannies among my daily ritual routine chanting and i do buddhist and native american and african chants in my prayers and in that somewhere in the mix many years ago kill whitey came in there you know along with some buddhist chants that i can't even know what the words mean except you know it's groovy and that's when i saw the vision of white supremacy crumbling and i know i've shared with you all the vision of being at a protest where there are people with weapons pointed at us and they put them down and they look to the left and say, baby, you got to put yours down too. And they put them down and he looks to the other folks and she says, put yours down and they put theirs down. That to me is it. That's winning. And that vision started maybe, oh, it has to be a good 25, 30 years ago, but the kill Whitey was there as they were putting that down. So uh and then when i started looking at the raging grannies and thinking of white hair i thought well ain't nobody gonna kill me if my hair is white and i got a t-shirt on in the back not the front because you got to see my face first all white hair sweet woman sweet face (laughs) (laughs) no one who looks at me can truly think looks at my face can think i'm dangerous i mean yes i'm larger than two or three people but i'm not dangerous but then on the back of my t-shirt really big kill whitey that's it man that's it i love love how over the last 25 years since that came to you you like on one hand you're you're waiting for this moment with the white hair and to you know bust out the t-shirt um with with the right timing but you still have dropped that phrase (laughs) at various well mostly with my photos shake people up (laughs) well the intention is to shake people up it's for me to bring forth from my root to my face enough joy to be photographed. That's where it started. Because <laughs> during high school and college, you had to work for me to take a photograph. This was pre, <laughs> you could take a digital picture and say, fuck that. And um, I remember the first couple of photos at UNC and I would try to be cooperative. Other people were taking pictures. I would literally start crying. I didn't know where it came oh. from, but it was so troubling to be photographed that I would have tears. What the fuck? So I stopped letting people take photographs for a long, long time. Um, I think when I met you, Caitlin, I wasn't da- down for having photographs. No, taken. you were pretty. What was that, like 15 years ago so or so? That's all? We've only known each other 15 I think 15, so. 40? I'm pretty sure because I've lived in California 20, maybe a little bit more, maybe 16 or 17. Whatever. I don't know. Whenever yeah. it was, I somehow associate being with you having a photograph taken and working through how much it sucked. But it was not long after that, that because I was doing more chanting and more ritual and more ritual work, which is where the good stuff comes from. If I'm here, it's because of that spiritual work. And then, you know, you pull your, well, not you, but for me, the visions come up from earth, down from sky and gel somewhere in my belly. And then that's it. That's the truth. That's my work. And Kill Whitey came then. And when I think about that, if I say it out loud, <laughs> it's awesome. Because I'm giving voice to my vision. I'm not, I'm not seeding anybody else's vision. I'm not putting any energy towards pain, suffering, or harm. Only to cooperation and justice and peace in the most beautiful way. 
the fucking police shut up and say, fuck y'all, we ain't doing this shit no more. Yeah. Don't you think that'd be awesome? Oh, totally. But I, yes. I love the like extreme peace that you're coming from when you say it. And then, you know, but that's just so not what people hear so often. But still, I mean, if I, I weren't I a Leo, forgot- it would sound much nicer. <laughs> <laughs> but that's maybe part of it is that it's not, you know, it's not just it's not all kumbaya. It's no. kill whitey. It's, you know, yeah. justice. It takes work to kill white mm-hmm. supremacy. It takes work, white people doing work to kill white supremacy and the rest of us enduring while the shit is still fucked up and not killing y'all or ourselves, both of which take work. But, you know, because of the way the culture is, it's mostly us killing ourselves first than killing y'all. And I, I think it's important for folks to get jolted every now and again. I mean, we got so many white liberals sitting on the sidelines singing Kumbaya you know, pretending like every, you know, change happens through purely peaceful protests. So like, yeah, I think that, that it is, even if it's, you know, coming from you, I think we all need a little jolt wow. and to take the moment to figure out what that means. Yeah. 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 And and what it means to like kill Whitey in a macro way and kill Whitey within too. You know what I mean? Like it's, there's, oh, yeah. there's, a, there's you He's know, in there. He's lurking like, around. Ready to fuck up your relationships and your ability to fucking see what's going on in real time. Yeah, from day one, we got to acknowledge that the seeds are planted within us to be racist, to participate in a completely oppressive system without second thought. Right. So, I mean, that is in us already. It is working against that. And we've said this on this show before. It is a constant, constant battle. And it's not like you're, you know, you're, you bring, you can be born into this society as some you know, pure, pure flower <laughs> that, you know, doesn't see color or whatever the fuck, you know, like we have to acknowledge each one of us has that, that, that whitey in them that we got to kill. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be traumatic and horrible. Yeah. I mean, it's a Feeling it's a guilty practice. about it. Mm-hmm. No, that won't do at all. You know, in the same way that some folks do their exercise regimen every day or their beauty regimen every day, you know, seeding out and weeding out all of the vestiges of white supremacy every day. So it's something that, you know, one does regularly as a practice instead of feeling like, oh, shit. Recently, someone said in a conversation about dealing with this as a white person because I reminded them that it's your work. You're a white cisgendered man. Do your motherfucking work. And he was like, well, that's a real heavy load to take on. You know, and I, I paused for a minute and I thought, well, yeah, I bet it is a heavy load. And it's not comfortable and it's hard and it may take all of your strength. But guess what? You can get some other motherfuckers to join you and pick that load up. You can chip off a piece of it every day and make it smaller till you can get it in your damn pocket. There's lots of ways to problem solve it. And guess what? That heavy load, carrying it, breaking your fingers on it, breaking your back on it, is not anything compared to enduring systemic oppression every motherfucking day of the week, 24 right. 7. And if Plus, I wasn't trying it's to a compare it. It's a heavy load. Don't you have to get it off your carry. fucking back? Yeah. Well, you know, if you accept it, this particular individual was not necessarily accepting that it was his load to deal with. Mm-hmm. Acknowledging, yes, it's there. Yes, it's a load. Yes, it sucks. But I'm just the low gym. How am I going to be able to take that on by myself? Organize. Mm-hmm. I almost said a bad word. Stop and myself. be prepared to make a lot of fucking mistakes. Fuck yeah. 
That's you know? what people are so scared of. They're so scared of. Well, doesn't our culture fuck us up? When people do make though. mistakes, it does not. You know, like what the ethic that you're talking about, George, of like make mistakes and then you will still be able to come back from it and and learn and actually feel like you maybe made that mistake for a purpose instead of just humiliation. I mean, you know. Then we, don't believe in humiliation, bitches. Come well, on. But. But our culture believes in You're it very strongly. Our culture uses it as a as a very effective yeah, it weapon. Does. Yeah, it does. And you know, and so yes, you're absolutely right that that's the tr- that's the trick. But it, you know, I mean, cancel culture and that whole phenomenon of just dragging people publicly for fucking up. Like on one hand, the being quiet that used to happen before and just sort of letting shit slide that's absolutely unacceptable and not going to help anybody evolve. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, publicly flogging people in the town square so that Gets the us guilt nothing. that is the worst thing, yeah, right? that doesn't no. help either. It doesn't. And it's a lie if anybody accepts it as justice. If somebody takes that and go, oh, yeah, justice has been served, you have been fooled, lied to, bamboozled. It's a bummer. And it's, it's the culture. You know, if you really take a real look. So one of the many iterations of things that have happened with my life. And when I was in college, I was the human relations and cultural something for the student union. But the groovy part was, it got me thinking about the culture, besides, you know, studying African American studies, political science and economics, and looking at how does the culture shape what we're doing and starting to do that in your 20s. It's fascinating by the time you get to your 60s. And this culture is ass. It's the worst. To take it back to the ass point. <laughs> yes. 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 Oh, circle. my God. But, it all, but then it goes back to those assholes who wrote down, here's how we're going to create this culture and shape it to the benefit of a tiny majority of people at the cost of everyone else. That's not explicit, but they were in a zero-sum kind of you know relationship to the world back then. And we are not at a zero-sum place, but that's still the underpinning of how we think about everything. So you're either okay well, or you is. absolutely suck. Isn't that horrible, we have though? These rich peop- we have, like, three people or whatever it is who have, like, more wealth than everybody. So obviously that's, like, the... The right way. Because that's what it... The product that it created right? was, like... <laughs> Hundreds now. of years later, here we are now going, what? With the motherfuckers going to space, and they literally have enough money to... <laughs> That was my mom's, my mom's psychotic, whatever it was, was that, okay, you know, all the white people are going to leave all the people of color on earth and go to the moon. (laughs) That's not crazy. She got super crazy. That was her delusion or whatever it was. There's no point in ever. She really, 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 really didn't care for white people. And um, she would talk about how, you know, don't make any alliances with white people, blah, 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 because ultimately they're going to go to the moon. (laughs) They're gonna destroy the planet, leave us all here to die. Is she wrong? Like she's a little in, bit right. on some level. Well, I got. I don't think those motherfuckers are actually gonna go. They're gonna go and they're gonna create some colonial outpost, and we're supposed to go do that shit. They're gonna stay here because this is where life comes. They're, yeah, but they'll. They're but the planet will be all burned and singed, and no water, and so that's still more hospitable than Mars. <laughs> Yeah, it is for me. I'm not trying to go out in space. I mean, I mean I'm all Gene Roddenberry down, but no. 
I'm not, you can't These get people my... are transhumanists. <laughs> They're completely comfortable living in some completely different, you yeah, know. they want to not... be robots. So mm-hmm. I don't think we can really understand what they think makes, you know. Ugh. Y'all, it's just so scary. I just can't do it. Yeah, no. Anybody who has yeah. that much wealth, I, I just can't fathom not understanding that you have enough. You know, I'm one of the parts in my name, one of the lessons about myself besides rage Trying to remember another one that's not a bad one. Fairy is a really great one. I'm a fairy. Um, is gorge. So I know a little bit about greed. I mean, you know, I mean, not that I regularly gorge, but I do like pleasure. Pleasure. I do like pleasure. <laughs> but I can still say no. No more wine. No more orgasms. No more chocolate. How do these motherfuckers know not to say this is enough fucking money? It's like, especially because it's an inconceivable amount of money. It like, is inconceivable. Like we can't even understand. Oh my God. And not to know here. that, oh, well, yeah. this excess, give this excess to the bottom 10%. How is that not just a natural thought? Well, they really think that they are so smart and they've got a lot of people around them telling them that they are, that they are the most responsible people to steward this money and that they're creating systems that, you know, uh, I don't think you can actually explain it with any kind of rational. I can't, I can't buy (laughs) that. There's any way you can try, but like, really? No, there is a number. I don't know what the number is, but there is a number where you go enough already. Maybe like a billion, which is also a unfa- you yes, know, like unfathomable. Yes, an unfathomable amount of. But money. hundreds of billions. Yeah. Oh. Well, come there's on. Been all these interesting like figures of people like how much would it cost to like you know solve hunger globally or you know stop our dependence on fossil fuels and if one individual can solve all of those issues but instead is taking a private jet plane then they're, you know, they should, the somebody moon, should take their like, toes somebody should <laughs> at take least a lot more of their than their toes well, they couldn't I mean, dance i'm not trying to deprive any bad their life but i don't mind <laughs> making it so they can't do the electric Tony, slide slowly and then their money i mean well but, what we should do is take all their fucking money <laughs> To the distribution since they won't. Okay, no bodily harm. Take all their money. My six-year-old has a, uh, I think it's a nine-step plan because my, my kid is very into space and he is particularly obsessed with Mars. And one of the ways that I tried to explain who Elon Musk is was telling him that Elon Musk wants to steal Mars. Oh. And Woo! That made him, like, that is his arch nemesis. And uh, I've had to make him dial back the violent uh, fantasies that he has and teach him about wealth expropriation and how, yes, if we take his money, he can still be evil, but he doesn't, can't really do anything with his evil. So who cares, you know? Um, So we're working on that. But uh, yeah. Nine step plan. Uh, Sorry, what's step number one again? Step number one is, is turn 18. I know that's controversial. Um, turn 18 yeah yeah you need to explain to him the difference between juvie prison you're right uh, i hadn't thought about this i just wanted him to like i wanted him to earlier than later these are good points you guys this is the perfect you know that show intervention we got to have somebody do an intervention with these billionaires and sit them down and go your brain works right you think your brain works do you know oh, what God. you're doing to humanity to and the that. planet? Me. Okay. If you're down, I would absolutely. Okay. Great. 
<laughs> I was like, I wouldn't trust anybody else. I'm so. it, man. I mean, because I can try to stay compassionate. Because don't you want to knock them upside the motherfucking head? Oh, and say, Are 100%. you fucking kidding me? Oh, fuck. Oh. But no, no, no. Just walk them down. Let's have a little walk. Let's have a little talk. All right, now. Now, what if you lived a bazillion years, you couldn't do shit with this money? So come on, write a check right now. I ain't leaving the house till you write a check. That would be part of the intervention. You're, it's not let's go to rehab. It's like you, you are, are going to write a check today. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Shit. I've seen that work before. I have. Well, okay. That's something we wanted to kind of talk about, uh, which is I think something we all really fucking respect about you is the way that you are so patient and compassionate even through like so much bullshit you know and you hold yourself with like so much strength and also you let your emotions happen at least in some spaces so we just wanted to talk to you about like how you how do you do that you know Um, I hmm. like we see you purge your feelings sometimes and I I watch you navigate spaces and I just think how well damn damn well damn Jessica that's really nice to hear thank you for that validation And I don't know if I'm self-aware enough to answer more than to share that I practice consciousness, which is also what I preach. I try to practice what I preach. So um, part of that consciousness is being aware, number one, of how does being, how does chronic racism, chronic sexism affect my ability to access and make use of my own power? So when you were asking the question, all I could think of was, I'm just trying to survive. So the core of it is this is survival for me. And some of those methods and mechanisms have been passed down, starting with my great grandmother or great white hair. And a lot of it has been developed as I think about, or as I started, started thinking about the remedies to how chronic oppression affects my ability to access and make use of my own voice and my own power, which is included in my own vision, because there have been times that that vision has been blocked or I can't access it. So part of the uh, spiritual practice I do, you know, I talked about coming from the ground up and the top down. And um, so there's your root chakra, the base of your spine. And then there's a chakra just below your belly button. And then there's the one in the middle of your belly and then your heart. So there was a time I'd have to go back to when it was, but during deep grieving, maybe right at the beginning of or pre-move to amend, when I couldn't really access my vision in the way I wanted to, because I couldn't get higher than about my um, solar plexus. I couldn't access my heart without breaking down and just tears and crumbling and horrible depression and just like, why even stay on the planet? What, you know, what is life worth kind of thing. So that is why when I have figured out you know, what is keeping me from that? And a lot of it is rooted in gender, you know, gender oppression, patriarchy, and racism. And not just racism, but greed. Yeah, I've heard you say before, misogyny and greed. Misogyny and greed, yeah, man. That really and I, that's, it. during that is when I, for myself, I was able to see, I was lucky during that period because I'm trying to think of this woman's name. She worked for the National Council of Churches. I'd met her once or twice. She's very cool. And she invited me to help facilitate a weekend about colonialism, sexuality, and religion. 
at Highlander. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I got to stay awesome. in Miles Horton's house. What? <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. All by myself. Talk about some good spiritual stuff. I know I conjured up Miles wow. Horton when I was there. It was awesome. And in doing this work, and and all I was doing was facilitating it. So these were queer people of color and colonialized people from all over who were very, also very spiritual and religious talking about their experiences. And I was just facilitating. So I mostly listened and, you know, it, you know, conjured and shared out again and listened some more. Mm-hmm. So it was during that time that I was able to reconnect with that because of my looking for how is it keeping me from where I am and then really seeing through their experience, not just from the U.S. perspective, from the global perspective, what colonialism, which was just about greed, it was let's go get these people's shit. Let's go, go over here, take their shit, suppress their culture, make them think they owe us. And then go do it somewhere else. You know, talk about something that's making you feed the kill whitey in- instinct. So that's the misogyny part. And then without misogyny, would we care about who someone loves or what gender identity they chose? If we weren't all about, and I own that, yes, it's our culture, it's U.S. culture, all about controlling women, controlling the feminine. Oh, man. So... Those two analysis, patriarchy, greed, and misogyny, yep. does make me want to hit the wall, put punch holes in the wall, just like the incel. But you worked, oh. you worked through that just in some way. Well, because I'm at freaking Highlander. To... You ain't gonna go yeah. up on a rampage archer style, both guns <laughs> at Highlander when you're staying in Miles Horton's house. You chant and you pray and you ask your angels and ancestors to come and give you guidance, and they do. And then you do that shit for the next thirty or forty years. And the next time you're at Highlander, you're looking at Grace. We were there I together. Think we were, That's yeah, it, Grace we were Boggs. There. Yeah, Grace Lee Boggs. The next time I was there was when Grace, when we, you and I got to see Grace Lee Boggs. I had the flu, yeah. so I barely remember it. But yes, <laughs> that was good for you. <laughs> it, was, it was just super sick. It sucked. So it's all about survival. <laughs> it's all about being conscious. Because if you're conscious, you know when something's fucking you up. You can't necessarily mm-hmm. fix it on the spot but you at least know what is happening and you can work on it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how long it took, months. I'm still not at a place where I can vision forward as well as I used to be able to do. And part of that is I just don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm just not, I'm not confident that visioning forward is something I want to do. I mean, a week or so, maybe a few months, but not years and years. Well, and talk about a skill that's that that we are so as humans out of practice at, at doing. What skill is is looking forward, is envisioning, is like actually like using that tool to look ahead to like create mm-hmm. instead of just dread, you know? Wow. Well, and also being willing to have a vision for a world that you might not be in. And that that still matters, you know, yeah. that it's like, exactly. I might not be here, but what I do now actually will help make that vision happen. And I trust that there will be other people who will do it. It's not all me. It's not like, I'm not some hero that like, if I don't see it, I'm not doing it. Kind of wow. gratification bullshit. Yeah, that's kind of tacky, I- right? If I don't see it, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Well, I think that's, a, I, I mean, I, I, as, as somebody mm. who has been, you know, committed to being a revolutionary, 
I, and, you know, studying revolutionaries and things like that. I think that that was something that I had to sort of like get over. And I, I, I feel like it's a very like male way of looking at things. Like if I'm not the hero in the story, then I don't want to do the story, you know? Wow. And therefore, like if the story takes past my lifetime, then what the hell is the point of it anyways? You know, I, I think that's a super patriarchal. Which is totally that guy, that mm-hmm. story you were telling, George. It like, takes that's on the whole load. Like, with. like if like, I can't right, be right. the guy who yeah. does this, I don't I don't know how to do it. We are so right. alienated. You know, we, we idolize the individual. We have so come away from the collective. And because we have become so, like, you know, individualized, we have, our our egos have inflated you know, proportionately to the point where it's like, well, I can do no wrong. I must, you know, I must correct everything, you know. Oh, I can't be wrong in having to do the work, you know what I mean, to, like, understand white supremacy and my place in it. Like, I just think that that's very interesting. The flip side of that is the, you know, the people who are terrified of fucking up, not realizing that they're part of, and then the tendency to, you know, self-flagellate once you do kind of say, okay, uh, and then, you know, you just see this white liberal tendency to just beat the shit out of yourself. Guilt is also ego. Yeah. Tuck that shit back no, in, you're like please. oozing it all over everybody and everyone's like, dude, put your guilt back <laughs> away. We don't need that all over us. But that, that was a big, like, psychic mm-hmm. break moment for me, actually, was, like, understanding that ego is embarrassment also. Because it is, it you know, you're giving yourself the benefit of mm-hmm. about to, to matter that much, you know what I mean? To, like, fail, and it's that mm-hmm. crushing. Um, you no, know, if your uh, ego is really like, good, you, know, you don't oh. get crushed. Shelly, you taught me that. You did. I think there's, like, a phrase for it that's not coming to mind, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, if you bought the cultural conditioning that there has to be a hero in every story... You got played. So that's another way the culture gets us, that idea that there has to be a fucking hero. Why? Just do your part. Just do your part. Yeah, it's so perpetuated, though, Mm -hmm. in the movement. Like, we, we, in so many ways, as organizers, I think, fall into that, too. There's such a need for a charismatic male Mm -hmm. leader to say the things in a flamboyant way and you know because it's it feels good it feels good to fall in line right it feels good to have good leadership or what looks like good leadership but then it means that one person has that much power it's scary i mean you can see the the u.s left right now if you just go on twitter like there is a desperation for somebody to come in and pull everything together and it's scary because that we don't know what we don't know how to get past this right Mm -hmm. now Oh God! And the love affair with Bernie Sanders is such a is doesn't that just epitomize like the savior complex? Like it only takes one person, y'all. What? How is that ever going to happen? Really, I mean, like no, no, you no. Think real people really believe that with the depth and breadth of all of the problems, there's any way we can win without collectively. And if we do it collectively, it won't suck so much, and we'll move much faster. Yeah, right than putting it on even a handful of people. But oh, Whitey is in the yeah. way in your head <laughs> to bring it back. You know, I mean, like, that's, I, I think what you were saying about, like, being conscious and, you know, having what I also heard, you didn't use these words, but, like, just kind of having perspective of sort of, like, being able to be like, okay, you know, not placing your center yourself in the center of everything, but being able to have context and perspective on your role, 
what's happening and all of that, like not taking it so personally, or if you are kind of dealing with that and then coming back to the collective when you're not, you know, (laughs) flailing all over the place with whatever might've been triggered. I mean, all those things, those skills are the only place where I have learned any of that is from move to amend. And so much of the reason why is because that was what you brought oh, into the circle. And you were like, you guys, if we're going to, if I'm going to work with you motherfuckers, then you're going to fucking learn this shit. <laughs> you told us that right at the beginning. Yeah. And you know, I think we did a decent job of like, not just being like, Oh, grandmother George, you know, tell us what to do now. You know, like we, we part of why it worked out is because there was a collective responsibility for that that sometimes worked better than others and whatever, but we did, you know, build it into the fabric of like, okay, this is the thing that we're going to be committed to and a practice that we're going to try and do together. But like, that's just so doesn't happen in, in, in most places where white people are organizing. There's just no, that's what they say. That's that's a lie. They say we don't have time for it. But as a result of not taking time for it, this shit is raggedy. Yeah. Yeah. Falls apart at the drop of a fucking hat because there's no there's no container for people to do the shit that, of course, they're going to do because we're inculcated with toxic messages every time we fucking interact with the culture, which is go on our computer or talk to another human being. And so, of course, people are going to do their fucked up shit. And then there's no there's no nothing to do about that. And some that person either takes over and their behavior becomes something that everybody has to deal with, or it just, you know, triggers people and then people have to leave. It's just, like you said, raggedy <sighs> as hell. Yeah. We've seen so much of that. I think Move to Amend is an interesting case study in an organization that, like, has had some hard growing pain. Fuck and, yeah. like, actually, like, came came through it, right? Oh, like, yeah. We, like... <laughs> Oh, you know, and if those tensions, if those tensions weigh on a container that doesn't know how to hold the the liquid, you know, that comes out of these terrible moments or these not, ter- you know, these hard moments, then then it's nothing. But, you know, we've been just to get specific, most of the move to amend volunteer and leadership base is is older white people. And uh, we have come through many, many moments as an organization trying to bring them along in in understanding that we have to be actively dismantling white supremacy as integral to the work as anything in abolishing corporate personhood. If we're going to com- be committed to democracy, then we got to grapple with the fact that we live in a white supremacist right? colonial society. And it was so poorly taken <laughs> in so many ways. I mean, how many years of like conversations and cr- how many... How many eighty-year-olds yep. have I cried in front of about the founding fathers? <laughs> oh my God, Harold! Like many, you know. Oh. <laughs> I am so sorry you that know? that is a reality that we have to deal with. I don't understand. I really, I don't. I mean, now that I am one of the older people, not that I wasn't before, but last weekend, um, you know, I'm a part of a co-ed fraternity. We had a at UNC. We had an alumni event. And there was someone there who graduated in 68. So he it's been mm-hmm. over 50 years since he was an undergrad. And that conversation with him was just wild. Because project, you know, just think 50 years from now. What the fuck, man? It's way hard to imagine, especially given Move to Amend and the work we want to do and the environment with which we're going to do it. Our constituents that are 
as much as we've tried to embolden them, because courage is what they need more than anything else, to let go of what they think is comfortable and status quo and jump over the canyon without evidence that there is a net, trusting that the net will manifest and meet their fucking feet when it needs to. That is what our ask is of people. It's yeah. a big one. And that's not just move to amend people. I think that you're really right. That courage is, a, you know, it's like that is the biggest thing. And that's part of why people are so happy to imagine that somebody else is going to do it. Somebody else is somebody gonna else is going to take the risk. And all I got to do is give them 25 mm-hmm. bucks. Right. <laughs> right. Become a monthly donor. <laughs> <laughs> no, but think about how much money Bernie Sanders campaign had. We laugh about it or whatever. But like we've said, like if we had those kinds of resources of any of these, you know, it's not it's not about the Bernie Sanders campaign. It's like whatever is the thing that is the thing that everybody is putting their, you know, their eggs in that basket or their, you know, their little pittance of like, yes, I, I go little <laughs> Go, little ship, fly across right. the canyon. Build a bridge. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there's a ton of resources. That's the challenge, there's... to get people to the courage. But that becomes the work the work in the spiritual realm. And, you know, Reverend Barber tries to do it, but he's still a preacher. I think he's awesome. But I do not think the Christian preacher style does it on its own. Because what you're doing is trying to raise someone's energy level, their vibration, their energy vibration to the point where they can connect to the vision strong enough not to just be aware, but awareness that's deep enough that it's consciousness. So that's your belly. And it's consciousness that's deep enough, that's your root chakra, that it generates action. The action being get up off your ass and make something happen. And it's sustainable and doesn't require that other energy. To right. Do, you know, it's like people can get all into yeah. it when they're in front of when the church. When you go outside the church, when you turn off the laptop, when you go to sleep. It's right. got to be an engine and a fire that runs on its own. But that's why you need your people around you to keep stoking your courage and abating the fear. The fear is a lie. I know people say that in all kinds of ways, but it's true. Fear, shame, blame, guilt, all bullshit created by the culture to keep you from seeing your own power. For just a second there, I flashed on Machiavelli. Machiavellian moment. <laughs> <laughs> you just never know what you're gonna get when you come here mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that idea but fear some bullshit but faith is for real uh and faith is that's why you jump off the damn cliff when you don't see the net because you have absolute confidence that you and everybody in your whatever it is collective realm circle coven have together generated the net we need the clouds we need to lift us over to the other side. Whatever the fuck it is, we can do that shit. We just have to know we can do that shit and have no fucking doubt. So that's that. Uh, it's somewhere in the Bible about the mustard seed. Not even a tiny little, you know, when you roll old, you don't do this no more when you buy pot. You don't get seeds anymore. But there was a time. I remember, George. I'm 41 in Florida. <laughs> I remember. I remember. A few short years ago, y'all. In Humboldt County, when someone gives you a grocery bag full of weed. Oh, grocery bag. Or groceries, and there's still weed (laughs) seeds in the So even a tiny seed like that could fuck it up. Your faith has to be so powerful that, sadly, it could be fucked up by that. But collectively, it doesn't matter. We all right. 
So that's why the collective work. I love this. You're saying it so much more explicitly than I've heard you say it before. Like even the part that you were saying about earlier about how having your vision is what makes it so that, you know, you don't homicidal or suicidal. Those are my only problems. You know, you don't get lulled. Yeah. Homicidal, suicidal. Okay. But other people might be lulled by other things. You know, you're a woman of extremes and, you know, no bullshit. So of course you would go to, okay, homicide or suicide. Somebody else might just fall into some, you know, hedonistic. Oh, I've never been there. (laughs) Hedonistically stupid, not me. No, but a lot of people are, right? But still, it's like off course, you know, off track. (laughs) So taking the time to be like, what's Mm -hmm. your fucking vision? You know, and if you don't have one, then what the hell is wrong with you? You're wasting time. Figure it out. And probably don't figure it out by yourself. You're not going to be able to manifest it by yourself. You don't fucking know anything. Right. Yeah, you're not going to be able to manifest it by yourself. And also probably you're you're kind of deluded. And so, you know, you need some accountability from others to help you make sure that your vision isn't just actually some selfish delusion. So, okay, wow. so George, I'm just going to ask the question then about like explicitly, can you talk about in your mind the relationship between organizing and magic or witchcraft? You know, I've heard you talk about this in lots of ways, but what does that mean to you to be a witch and to be an organizer? And Well, it's all about energy and vibration and vision. So it's hard to find the right words since so much of it is image. So when you identify people who have part of your vision and you generate a collective vision. So in our collective vision, there are pieces that are completely alike. And those pieces that you identify become the place where you center your magic energy. And when I mean magic energy, that's just your intention based on all of the energy you can conjure within yourself which brings back how many generations back can you go and bring their energy to this particular spell or this particular prayer or this particular vision? Because a spell is just a prayer 